Today we'd like to consider a very, very important thing. A historical event that is pivotal. Something we should be able to grasp and understand. And what it deals with is the acceptance into the Christian church of non-Jews, Gentiles. You see, at the beginning, they didn't really understand that non-Jews would be accepted by God. Probably all of us are not Jewish, so that would include us, would it not? But you see, the Jews of that day of Peter's time, and earlier and later, had a very, very strong prejudice against anyone who was not Jewish. Why would they feel that way? Even Christians, Peter and the others. Well, you see, they came from a background that helped them realize that God had chosen their ancestor Abraham in a very special way. He made to Abraham a great promise that through him all families of the earth would be blessed. Well, they were descendants of Abraham. They were acknowledged receivers of this wonderful promise. It got to the point where to them, anyone who wasn't Jewish was like a dog, a Gentile dog. After all, God had chosen Abraham, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, whom we call Israel, then his 12 sons, progenitors of the 12 tribes. And so they were descendants physically of Abraham. So they felt they were chosen. They were special. And that others were outside the pale. Amos, many years after Abraham, put it this way. It's in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 2. You only I have chosen of all the families of the earth. So they knew they were part of that. God had chosen them. That excluded the others. Now it's interesting though, in the Old Testament, it tells us that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. And that through them, Abraham's descendants, all the families of the earth, as I pointed out, would be blessed. Somehow they didn't grasp that aspect of it. They had a temple earlier that was destroyed, then rebuilt, and now Herod was building a great grandeur of a temple for them. They had the law of Moses with all its sacrifices and its guarantees of forgiveness and acceptance. 
So they concentrated on that and their privileged situation. Jeremiah, in chapter 31, verse 31, begins to talk about a new covenant, a new agreement. Somehow that kind of went over their head. Or at least they didn't realize that, that would include others who were not Jewish. That would include Gentiles. God went to great lengths to teach them that the Gentiles were to be included, that they were candidates to be God's children through Jesus Christ. They could have seen four gleams of this even in the Old Testament. Jesus picked out perhaps the greatest preacher of all when he talked about Jonah. Jonah didn't want to do his job and go and preach to the Ninevites. They were Gentile dogs, of course, in the Jewish look, approach. And you know the story how he did everything to get out of it. But he ended up in a big fish and God brought him out and sent him a second time, you go to Nineveh. And finally he had to go. Still, he didn't like the idea. But he preached they needed to repent. They needed to turn from their sin and their violence. And believe it or not, the king of Nineveh listened. And he made a law that everyone should turn from the wrong things in their lives. The king himself stepped down from his throne. He put on sackcloth. He was involved with ashes, sign of repentance. He commanded his people to change their ways. There was a great change there in the Gentile city of Nineveh. Jonah was unhappy. He wanted God to zap those Ninevites, those Gentile dogs. And you can realize how he pouted about this in Jonah chapter 4. How God tried to help him understand that he cared for them. So even here in the Old Testament, it points out that God does care for non-Jewish people, even though he had chosen them in a very special way. And that through them, the Messiah, the Christ would come and save the world. There were four blames of this in the life of Jesus, weren't there? Matthew 15, a Gentile lady came to Jesus. He kind of put her off. It was really a test of her, her faith and her perseverance. She had a daughter that had, she said, a devil, a demon. But she persisted. She humbled herself greatly before Jesus and asked him to help. And he took pity on her and he healed the daughter, cast out the evil spirit. We find in John chapter 4, he went through the despised country of the Samaritans. Now Samaritans were part Jewish and part Gentile. Between Galilee and Jerusalem was Samaria. 
Many times Jewish people, in order to avoid traveling through that place when they wanted to go from one place to the other, ended up crossing the Jordan and going up the east side of Jordan River and coming back in then at the north to avoid these Samaritan people, these half-breeds, people that they still considered as not Jewish, only even though they were part Jewish. And back in chapter 9 of Acts, before we come to the scripture in chapter 10, we find that Jesus had set the good example and Philip the evangelist went to the Samaritans. He preached to them. The great work of God was done. The church sent Peter and John to check it out. And the Holy Spirit fell upon these Samaritans. Back in chapter 4, Jesus had met with a Samaritan lady. He had led the way, showing that he cared. And she and the people were changed. So what's this all boiled down to? It boils down to the fact that Jewish people were specially chosen. They were chosen to share God and truth with those who were not Jewish. But even though Jesus had told the early disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody, that filtered through their prejudiced thinking as go and tell all Jews about Jesus, the Messiah. And Philip was kind of breaking precedent, except he was doing what Jesus did when he went up to Samaria. But you see the problem. Preached to everybody, including Gentiles, non-Jews, about Jesus. But they were confining, basically, their preaching to Jewish people and now half-Jewish people, the Samaritans. How could God change their mind? <laughs> How could God reach in and alter their prejudice? from one of despising them to one of loving them and accepting them as fellow Christians. Well, here in chapter 10 of Acts, we learn the great lengths to which God went to do that very thing. To change Peter, John, the apostles, the early church, the Christians to understand. It was opened up to everybody to us Gentiles, not only to Samaritans, and not only to the Jewish people, but they were to be a light and shine that light of Jesus to the whole world, every single person. I understand many years ago that a person in China who heard about Jesus thought that it had just happened the resurrection, the death for sins, all that. Had to be explained, it had been centuries before. And so the Chinese person wondered, why did it take you so long to get here? Tell us this wonderful news. And so we realize the church has been reluctant and tardy sometimes to get out the message. It's for everybody. Peter needed to learn that. The early church needed to learn that. 
People didn't need to know that today, do they not? How did God reach these people? How did he teach them that? How did he show them? It's for everybody. Even though he had said so earlier. Well, let's look and see what happened here. How did he overcome this prejudice? How did he teach them these things? How did he help them know these things were actually true? It's a hard thing to give up your lifelong prejudice. But because of love and because of God, they had to change to get the message out. Well, here in Acts chapter 10, here's the amazing lengths to which God went to help them understand they needed to change their attitude. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a, of this crack band of the Romans, the Italian band. Now notice what kind of person he was in verse 2. A devout man and one who feared God along with all his household who gave many alms, many charities to the people. And he always prayed to God. Now here was a remarkable man, a centurion in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers of this cracked Italian band. But he was very religious, very sincere. He gave alms to the poor. He prayed to God all the time. He was devout, he was pious, he took it seriously. Now you think a man like that would be okay. But may I jump ahead and point out that in chapter 11, verse 14, Peter recounts what the angel came, and we're going to read about it, to tell Cornelius. Let's look at that verse, chapter 11, verse 14. It says that Peter shall tell you words whereby you and all your household shall be saved. He names the person in the preceding verse or two. It's going to come. His name is Peter. And he's going to give words so that they could believe him and they could be saved. You mean a man as moral and good and prayerful as Cornelius need to be saved? Well, that indicates yes. I thought I was quite a moral, good person before I became a Christian. Sometimes those kind of people are very hard to reach because they're self-righteous. But here was a man who was indeed a very good moral person, but he needed to hear words whereby he and his household would get saved. Bearing that in mind, how God reached this person and how did he reach Peter? Well, first of all, then Cornelius, verse 3, he saw in a vision. Evidently about the ninth hour of the day. Ninth hour would be from two to three o'clock in the afternoon. 
They counted time starting at six in the morning, the Roman way here. An angel of God coming into him. So that's what Cornelius saw in this vision. God sent an angel. Now this is interesting. God sent an angel to tell him to call for Peter who would tell him words whereby he'd be saved. Why didn't the angel just give the gospel to him? Well, you see, God normally has chosen people to share the gospel. And we find God goes to great length to have Peter come, a person, to share the truth. It's incumbent upon all Christians to do missionary work and share Jesus with others. So he saw an angel of God coming into him, Cornelius did. He said to him, okay, here's what the angel tells Cornelius the centurion, the devout man. And when he looked on him, he was scared and he said, what is it, Lord? So he called him Cornelius to begin with back in verse three. What is it, Lord? He acknowledged his authority. And he said to him, that is the angel said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, your charities are come up for a memorial before God. So God had taken notice of the good things he had done and what he was. But remember, he needed to be saved, 1114. And now, he tells Cornelius, send men to Joppa. That was a city south of where he was on the coast on the Mediterranean Sea. <clears throat> send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is staying with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you should do. So the angel instructs Cornelius, send for Peter. Listen to what he has to say. He's going to tell you what you should do. When the angel who spoke to Cornelius had left, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from them who waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things to them, he told them about the angel, what the angel said, you see. He sent them to Joppa, sent them south a few miles to Joppa. On the next day, as they went on their trip and drew close to the city, so now we have what happens to Peter. Remember, Peter comes from this very prejudiced point of view. How's God gonna change him? It's amazing what God does here. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Well, that'd be like from 11 to 12, right before lunch. And he became very hungry, and he would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened up. So here's what he saw. And a certain vessel descending to him as it had been a big sheet knit at the four corners. They were kind of hooked together there. 
and led down to the earth, wherein were all kind of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild animals, and creeping things, which be like lizards and what have you, and birds of the air, perhaps uh, even buzzards and unclean ones like that. And there came a voice to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. This was hugely distasteful to Peter, to eat these things. For example, a swine, a pig, was forbidden in the Old Testament. He'd never eaten anything like that. And yet here's a voice telling him to eat these sins. And the voice spoke to him again the second time. Now here's the key thing. Here's what Peter needed to learn. What God has cleansed, don't you call common. Of course, he didn't know what that really meant. What, what's God talking about here? Now, this was done three times. And not just once, but three times this happened. And the vessel was received back up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, he couldn't figure it out. So contrary to his desire to do such a horrible thing. Look, the men who were sent from Cornelius's had made inquiry for Simon's house, that is Simon the Tanner, and stood before the gate. So as Peter's wondering, what's this all mean? There they are. And they called and they asked whether Simon, who was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. See, they knew his name. The angel had told Cornelius. While Peter thought about the vision, now this is important. Now when you get a vision, now it says, the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, said to him. Remember back in chapter 8, God's Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and he to go and join with the Ethiopian eunuch. God's Holy Spirit can speak to his people. And God's Spirit said to him, Look, three men are looking for you. Get up, therefore, and get down, and go with them, doubting nothing, because I've sent them. So now Peter would understand what the vision really means. The Gentiles were accepted into God's family through the Lord Jesus Christ. You shouldn't be prejudiced against them anymore. God loves them too. God loves us too. I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who were sent to him from Cornelius, and he said, Look, I am he whom you're looking for. What is the reason why you were come? And they said, Okay, now they're going to tell him what happened, why they were there. Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one who fears God 
and of a good report among all the nation of the Jews. He had a good reputation with the Jews. He was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear words from you. This is what God did. He went to great lengths, like I said, that Cornelius might hear the truth and that Peter might learn the truth and become unprejudiced. Then he called them in and he put them up. He lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and certain brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the next day, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. So now you see it's a bit later, Peter's gone. He's taken others, we learned six others with him. They were good witnesses of what was gonna happen here finally comes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius, he fell down at his feet and, and worshipped. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I'm also a man. You see, he wouldn't accept that kind of homage from Cornelius. He knew that belonged truly to God. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Remember Cornelius' household and close friends? They were all there. And he said to them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man who is a Jew. You see, that's the way it was. Peter had been that way. He thought that way. Others thought that way, even the early church. Unlawful thing for a man who is a Jew to keep company or to come to one of another nation. But, here's the thing, God has showed me, now he knew what it meant, that vision, that I should not call any man common or unclean. A great light had gone on in his thinking. Everyone was accepted, could become Christian through Jesus. The message was for all people, everywhere. You know, there's a little song sometimes sung to, with kids, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in your sight. Well, they need to learn that. And he had learned it. God has showed me that I should not call anybody uncommon or unclean. Something to bear in mind even in our day to day, is it not? Therefore I came to you without gainsaying, without talking back, as soon as I was sent for. Therefore I asked for what reason, what intent have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, so he explains why he sent for me. Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and look, a man stood before me in bright clothing, that would be the angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, 
and your charities are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Therefore send to Joppa, and call here Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, by the seaside, who when he comes shall speak to you. And again we saw in chapter 11 that he would tell him words whereby he and his household could be saved. Immediately, therefore, I sent for you, and you have well done that you come. Therefore, now, we are all here present before God to hear all things which are commanded you from God. Hey, isn't that quite a statement? Isn't that the way the church should gather? We're all present before God to hear the things that are commanded you of God to speak to us. They had an open attitude. They wanted to receive God's truth. Okay, how did Peter then share with them? What did he say? This is very important. It's very one of the messages that we find Peter giving. We find others later that Paul would give. What did he say? What words would he share that might result in the saving of their souls? What words would he say after such elaborate preparations to get him there to save him? Then Peter opened his mouth. Sometimes we've got to open our mouths. And he said, okay, here's the sermon. Here's the message. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Okay, again, secondly, Peter had learned his lesson here. The word God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Jesus is central to this message, is he not? And then I love this statement. He, Jesus, is Lord of all. He's in charge of everything. He's the king. He is Lord of lords. He is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was publicized throughout all Judea. That's interesting. They heard some of these things. And began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. John the Baptist. What a great verse it is. What a verse of summary, verse 38 is, that he now shares. How God anointed Jesus from Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. Many are content merely going about, but he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. So that sort of summarizes Jesus' earthly ministry here. And we are witnesses. See, Christianity isn't just some philosophical treatise thought up by people in their ivory towers. It's a part of history. These people were witnesses. They'd seen these things. They'd heard these things. We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone that's hung on a tree. 
him God raised up. So he talks about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did. He raised him up the third day and he showed them openly. He showed him the thing of history. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen ahead of time by God. Even to us, Peter and the rest, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. It's so important to realize that Christianity is established in history. It's a historical event. More verified and proven, perhaps, than any other event of history. They were witnesses. They could give a first-hand testimony that he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to witness that it is he who was ordained by God, the judge of the living and the dead. What a momentous statement that is. What a great truth that people do not accept today, that there will be a judgment, and that Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and of the dead. To him, that is to Jesus, all the prophets give witness that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. So there in a nutshell is the truth. Here are the words whereby he and his household were to be saved. Here are the words whereby people today may be saved. They may receive remission of sins, forgiveness, because Jesus died for our sins. They may receive a new authority in their life, God and his son Jesus, to henceforth live for him. Verse 44, what happened? While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them who heard the word. What a wonderful experience that would have been. And they of the circumcision who believed were amazed, as many as came with Peter. This was shocking to them. Because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they realized along with Peter now that Gentiles were invited to come, that they were accepted by God through Jesus. And we've seen many indications of this in the Old Testament and the ministry of Jesus. And then of Philip and Peter and, and John with the Samaritans. But here's the key thing. That on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because they heard them speak with languages and magnify God. Then Peter answered. Great question here. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? Can anybody object to their being baptized? They've got the Holy Spirit. God gave it to them. 
and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed him to wait certain days to stay there with him. Isn't this amazing? God went to great lengths, as I said, to help the early church realize this is for everybody. Another thing is significant to notice here. These people, baptism, make them Christian. Baptism was a follow-through, something after they received the Holy Spirit, after they trusted in Jesus, after they'd been born again, then they were baptized. Now there are those who tell us, baptism saves you, makes you a Christian, takes away your sins, but this says that's not so. Baptism is something you do, an act of obedience, an act that shows you're on Christ's side that you believe in him, an act that shows his death and resurrection, an act that shows your death to self and sin and your spiritual resurrection, henceforth to live for him. Thus we find how God got the message to Cornelius, how God changed the mind of Peter and others. But more was to be done. Not just these seven, Peter and the six. But let's go on and see what later happened in chapter 11, briefly here. And the apostles and brothers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, you see Jerusalem's about 3,500 feet, whatever, above the Mediterranean Sea. When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, notice how the Bible is careful in even details like that. They were, they of the circumcision, meaning those who were Christian, but who were very much insisting people, the men must be circumcised, as in the Old Testament. They argued with him, saying, you went in, to men uncircumcised. So we see that Cornelius and the Gentiles were, had not become full proselytes yet. They were not yet circumcised. You went into men who were uncircumcised and you did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the start. And he expounded by order to them saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. Certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet, led down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon the which when I had fastened my eyes, I considered, and I saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild animals, and creeping things, and birds of the sky. And I heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. 
But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, do not call common. This was done three times, and all were drawn back up again into heaven. And look, immediately there were three men already come from the house where I was, to the house where I was, sent from Caesarea to me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brothers accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, who stood and who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. And then this verse again, Who shall tell you words whereby you and all your household shall be saved. And as I began to speak, apparently he was going to tell them more than we have recorded here. As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord who that had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did to us who believed of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should withstand God? You see, he was convinced. God used this amazing way to convince him and the church. When they heard these things, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, Then, has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Finally, the message got through. Later on, we learned that they still had some ways to go, but basically that was it. Everyone now is acceptable through Jesus Christ. Everyone may be forgiven of their sins. The mortal man the great sinner, the in-between, everyone may accept the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. How does that affect us? Hopefully every one of us has done that very thing and been saved. And now it's incumbent upon us to live for him and to share his message with everybody. In our own lives, sometimes there may be people we think are unreachable. They might have thought Paul was unreachable. It's our opportunity and our privilege, and it's upon us to share the truth of the Lord Jesus. Hopefully, as with China, it won't take centuries, but the church will wake up and share Jesus, and we will share Jesus with our neighbors and our friends. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for this marvelous event of Peter and Cornelius, and then thank you that others recognize its validity as Peter and the six shared these things back in Jerusalem. We know that it was very, very important 
what you taught them, and what we hopefully truly know and believe in our hearts as well. Help us to be lights that shine for Jesus as he shines through us in word and in deed. And may we now commit ourselves anew to you. Thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.